0: Hello, wherever you are in the world today. Welcome to Beyond the Art in our series, The Stories That Carry Us. I'm your host, Craig Beaumont Flynn, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation and the Delaware Tribe of Indians. In each episode, we will discuss with various Native American artists, influencers, art leaders, and everyone in between, their experiences, the communities they serve, and the translation and interpretation of the Native American art world today. Well, welcome to Beyond the Art today, and today we have Amber dubois Shepherd, a citizen of the Navajo Nation. Well, Amber, welcome to the show. Hi. We're really excited to have you with us today. Why don't you tell us about your story?
1: Sure. So, um, as you said, I'm I'm traveling role in the Navajo Nation. Um, my mother's family's from that area. But my dad's side of the family is all from Oklahoma up into Kansas. So um, I participate a lot in the Sac and Fox tribal doings. And um, we've been to the powwows up there since I was a little kid to the Prairie Band Potawatomies um, up in Kansas. So uh, I have a very um, traditional background. One of the first things I always uh, remember when I was a child was a Navajo sand painting ceremony. So I grew up um, looking and viewing my traditional doings on both sides of my family. And that was a big influence to sit and kind of learn about um, what was going on as a child. And I come from a very creative background. Um, a lot of my family members had some kind of uh, knowledge in, on my mother's side, Navajo silversmith making, um, Navajo weaving. And then on my father's side, it was, um, ribbon work design. She got Um, a whole
0: collective of creative energies around you growing up.
1: Yes. I had, I remember sitting on my great grandmother's lap in Arizona and she'd show me how to do the weaving, um, and I'd always be running around, kind of playing around her loom. <laughs> um, and I'd always be curious and I'd flick the string and it'd make the ding, the ding right. little sounds. Um, I'd run my finger across and my great grandma would let me help sometimes. Um, and I remember being little and helping my grandpa with um, Navajo silversmith. I mm-hmm. sat on his lap and he was showing me how to set the stones and then on my Grandmothers, um, my paternal side, my Adeline Ketchishano Dubois, she would, do, would create all kinds of Native dresses for me. So, wow. And I still have a lot of her dresses that I still wear to this so day. So you got so. an
0: array of different creative people doing different things around you. How did you decide what media you were going to direct yourself or do you just want to do everything?
1: Uh, I wish I could do everything. <laughs> I wish I could clone myself. And then exactly. I, I have a lot of knowledge in those various areas. Um, so like looking at jewelry, I can kind of tell about the inlay or if it's more Pueblo design versus Navajo design. Also knowing if it's real or not. Um, right. Being taught that, being taught about Navajo weaving and the different designs growing up. So I grew up kind of being familiar in that area um, and then of course with my grandmother, just knowing about different types of ribbon work, um, different types of sewing techniques. Uh, she even knew a little bit of seminal patchwork and things like that. So I started to know kind of the difference early on, um, in different native tribes and their traditions, but also just growing up traditionally and seeing the difference between Navajo ceremonial doings and Sack right. and Fox ceremonial doings. So I tried most of the mediums, um. I still do uh, finger weaving. I learned that in the last couple of years um, from a Kickapoo lady, and mm-hmm. those are that's more of my meditative, like fun <laughs> hobby, I guess, because it's real. It's real simple once you learn how to do it, and then it's just right. repeating the process, just back and forth. So, so it becomes
0: um, your zone almost. Yes, like your yes. Quiet so you time.
1: <laughs> as long as I don't overthink it, then it I can do it. But when it comes to my art i work in oil paintings in mixed media 2d um, artwork Mm -hmm. and i just really enjoy that medium because to me since i have all of this experience and background i try to express that in this form that is more uh, western style of art making Um, even though i have The traditional knowledge of the other areas. I would love to go back and relearn how to make a Navajo rug. I made one with my great grandmother once. I still have it hangs on my wall. I won second place with it as a kid. So, I mean, I was really excited. Um, and I guess being a kid and learning all this stuff, I didn't really realize that it was unique. So it wasn't until I got older and I was like, Oh, not. Not everyone knows how to do this.
0: this.
1: (laughs) There's something to this. It's like, I didn't know people could do this. And, um, but not everyone knows what these things are. And I think that's where my, um, inspiration comes in to create art that Mm -hmm. I can share with everybody, um, in the narrative form and kind of, I've been more experimenting now with, um, more textures, more, design um with southwest design woodland designs based on of course my late great grandmother and then my late grandmother with her ribbon work designs that so i i have a whole sketchbook full of those designs that they used, and i'll go through there and utilize them either in the background of my oil paintings Mm -hmm. or on the dresses um that the men and women or children are wearing in my pieces um And just try to utilize and and show that appreciation of the things that I was taught and that I grew up in as a child. So that's kind of like where my background is. Because I even have like beadwork, people who can beadwork in my family. Um, My dad is uh, can play Native American flute. He knew how to make those from the cane. I remember going Mm -hmm. on back roads and we'd harvest the cane. And he would make flutes out of those. So I, I just... It it was bound to happen that one of us grandkids, one of us (laughs) kids was going to go full into the arts.
0: Would actually absorb it (laughs) and learn from it. Yes, exactly. So do you feel that part of your your creativity and your artwork uh, is affected by where you're from or more tribal?
1: I think some of my art is affected by where I'm from or where I Where my mother's family's from too. So, an example I can give is like I will include in certain pieces like the mesas or the mountain ranges of where my mother's from Mm -hmm. in some of my art pieces. Um, and then here in Oklahoma, I'll include like our, our kind of oak trees or a certain type of the big thunderstorms that come through. So, definitely place is very important um, where I go and experience new things. So I definitely want to go visit way outside of Oklahoma, even outside the United States. And I'm sure right. the more I go out, it's going to influence my work. And I'd like to include something of wherever I visit or wherever I go. So I want to, some of the places me and my husband want to go to, want to go to Europe, I'm going to go to Switzerland and those places. We actually want to go to New Zealand. Um, Mm. we'd love to go to Japan. So I feel like if I can get to those places, somehow those places are going to influence or be a part of my art in some shape or form.
0: Now, do you take a lot of the elements that you're culturally part of your DNA? Is that installed into your artwork or are you kind of a transform it and retranslate into a different perspective?
1: I feel like there is um, a lot of people, I don't talk about it too much, but I am a very spiritual person and I include experiences or things that I have um, kind of dealt with or have interacted with on that spiritual side, but I try to do it and in, in, put it into my art in a respectful way. Um, there's are some things that uh, I used to just paint and draw almost anything. I, I dream a lot, so I'm like, oh, I can paint and draw this. But after talking to some elders of mine and some mentors, native mentors of mine, they were like, well, you kind of need to take a step back and kind of reevaluate what you want to share. Um, mm-hmm. Some things are private for yourself. Um, and then other things that I do want to share um, with whomever my audience wants to be, um, whoever's is interacting with my art directly. So, um, I've kind of geared more towards express, expressing and sharing native art and culture the way I've seen it growing up. So the way I do that is including some of the spiritual ceremonial aspect or the native clothing and design, but also including like Lawn chairs, or, um, I remember I had somebody come up to me with an art piece and they said, my parents had those same exact lawn chairs. They were- we used to go to the powwow. And those, and so those little connections, um, or the are wearing converse or wearing, um, jeans and leggings or just kind of including things from today to kind of make it that our ceremonial practices mm-hmm. are very traditional. Um, And from a long time ago, but we're still practicing them today. Um, We're just utilizing um, modern clothing or materials.
0: It's kind of be reinterpreted to today's society and our culture. Our culture is continuing to grow, you know, just because something was established 200, 300 years. A thousand years ago doesn't mean we're exactly doing it the same way because we're continuing to grow, especially with our artwork and who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that you're artistically more influenced by your Navajo ancestry or Pottawatomi or Sac and Fox, or is it just kind of all these various components of who you are, your DNA is bringing it all together.
1: I believe it's just a component of all of them. Um, my parents were,
0: uh, I I feel like, yeah, I feel like
1: my parents did really well at making sure we knew who we are, where we come from, where our people come from. Mm -hmm. Even my um, French ancestry to Dubois, that Dubois side from my paternal grandfather, grandfather's driven us around Meeker, Oklahoma and showed us where our family's from. And then My dad did some research in ancestry and traced our name back to Normandy, France. So that's where my ancestors for um, my European sides from. So I like to know and I was taught growing up to learn who you are and to um, be respectful of where those where we come from. And I, of course, I grew up with the Navajo side a lot more, I believe, and being more, um, involved with mm-hmm. my mother's side, but there is, I'm still learning about Sac and Fox Potawatomi culture. Um, I'm learning, I'd love to go up to the Great Lakes area where our people are from and mm-hmm. go up there, see where Black Hawk people and our band is from, um, so those are on my to-do list to go. Then I'll go to, go to Normandy, France and see right. where those relatives are from. And to me, it's always, like I said, place is very important to me, so like to be able to walk where those ancestors are. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my parents did a really good job at, at making sure that we participated in as much as we could in all of our tribal doings. Which is really hard. Um, yeah, talking with other Native people, um, they're like, wow, that's that's a lot. Because certain um, Native people may be brought up in one versus the other, mm-hmm. um, I have found. And some are like, wait, you do all three? I'm like, well, yeah, because they're all me. I said, and exactly. I need to be respectful. I have ancestors from all of these areas. And I feel like if I, I have to acknowledge them, in. And in return, they'll help me. Um, so that's that's kind of how I viewed that.
0: Tell us about your favorite medium. Since you do an array of various artistic, uh, creative endeavors, what's your most favorite, you think, when you're doing it, this, this is me, this really says who I am as an artist? I think
1: my 2D, like mixed media pieces, because... I'm a weird control freak, and I like to—I <laughs> like to make sure that—that's like I have the most control. And yes, yes, um, I love ceramics. I've tried all kinds of mediums. Um, ceramics is—I uh, just—I get too attached to my pieces, so when they blow up in the kiln, I'm like devastated. It's, <laughs> I have to go through an emotional like roller coaster of oh my gosh, you spent hours on that and then explode. Then there's other there's ceramic artists I meet, and they're like. I'll just make it again. I'm
0: like, you right. spent weeks on that piece.
1: <laughs> and I'm over here like, oh. I'm, I'm a little bit the opposite to where I like my 2D art because I can control all mm-hmm. the aspects. I like to plan. I like to really think about the idea and the theme of what's going into it. It's like, what am I trying to convey to my audience? So a lot of my pieces, people will see the final product and then they're like, wow, this is really neat. Did you come up with this? And yes, but I also went through several renditions, um, especially my earlier pieces. If you were to take layers of the paint off or layers, um, you would actually see there was a whole different image underneath than what was the final piece. Um, so I've learned to really think it out. So I do a lot of sketching. I do a lot of, um, that's what I was yeah. going to
0: ask you. It, it, your process? Do you mm-hmm. are you a thinker and planner where you plan it out and sketch it and, and uh, yes, yes, say this I, is my, my vision? Or do you just like where it comes, where it comes from, how you do it, where the energy and create.
1: <laughs> I I have the ideas. They'll pop up in my head, and so I always right. carry a sketchbook with me or some kind of pen and paper in my purse or my my backpack or whatever, um, and then. If the idea strikes me, I'll write, I'll be sure to write it down and maybe it's something that can turn into some, a bigger project. So I do a lot of planning. So a a lot of sketching. I even have, there's a couple of my pieces where I started with a small thumbnail and then I transfer it to a bigger sketchbook, play with that, manipulate it, and then I go to a bigger sketchbook so I can have a bigger surface. Um, and I would sketch everything out, see how it looks on, what I think the final will look like, how my audience is going to view it. Like Mm -hmm. where's their eye going to start and go through the piece. And if I need to make adjustments, um, I am, I've always admired artists that can just throw an image onto a (laughs) canvas and just, it turns out amazing. I'm not one of those. I just, I've tried that several times and I always end up trashing it or just it's in my portfolio and nobody will ever see it until after I'm gone from this world. Then I guess somebody can dig around and go, look at this. They're going to think that's the most amazing thing probably. And I'm going to be on the other side going, no, no. don't look at this. Um, it's
0: priceless. It's like, it goes up for auction. It's like $10 million. It's like, wow
1: yeah, I know. I'm going to be, my ghost can be sitting in the corner going, Oh my gosh, I can't believe this. And I was like, just forget it. Just forget it. Just let them have it. And so Um, but I'm, I'm very much a planner. I like to, I have, I even have my, my my actual planner where I schedule out my weeks and my days. Mm -hmm. I like to know, uh, events way ahead of time. I'm very good at trying to make sure I have enough time to create the piece, finish it, um, and then also get it framed and get it matted. I just dropped a piece off this week and it's going to take her about a month. To get that framed and matted for me because she has a trip planned and then, um, I'll get it right before my next exhibition that I'm doing. So I, I make sure to do that. Um, and I think that comes from my mother. She was very much a, she's an accountant and oh. works in with numbers. And so she's yeah. very, and so I hear yeah. My mom's always, the same. Yeah. yeah. So I kind of pick some stuff up from her, um, keeping track of those type of. dates and and things like that so but yeah that's kind of like my process i sketch and and plan things and then i do kind of mess around with stuff and play with texture and things like that and those ones i don't put a ton of thought into i'm just more playing around to see what works Mm -hmm. um and then those i sometimes make available for people to purchase or buy and they're usually just kind of fun. it's like here just have this but then there's the other ones that are I I really enjoy and I put a lot of work and effort into.
0: Where do you find your inspiration? Is it more indicative to your culture and your DNA and uh, what you grew up around uh, being so collective from so many different creatives? Or do you find inspiration just the mundane in your everyday life and you incorporate your native culture into it?
1: I think um, you hit it right there on the end. It's it's more of how I live my life every day mm-hmm. as a Native person. And if I were to explain every little single detail of how some people would go, that is a lot to live by. And I'm like, well, right. I grew up. This is how you do it. This is how you wake up in the morning. You go out. You make your prayer. You go back in. You do Sometimes you have to smudge. Sometimes you have to do this. There's a certain way and a path you take into your home mm-hmm. or um, when you're doing those ceremonial things. And I, that's how I live my life. Um, sometimes when an inconvenience happens, I always have to think maybe there's a reason why I'm late to work this morning. <laughs> and sometimes there is. There may have been an accident that I missed by mere minutes. And I'm just kind of like, okay, there. That's why. Thankfully, where I work, um, I work at the University of Oklahoma in the Fine Art Department. So everyone's here very, really low key, very right. art-minded. So everyone's just um, very kind. So I, I'm not too worried about they, that. So they
0: get the creative mind.
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it works. there's been there's been times too when this. We went on a trip. My husband and I went on a trip earlier this year to um, see my family in Arizona but we spent like a week out there and so instead we went to Monument Valley mm-hmm. and then on our drive there I kept having my husband pull off the side of the road and I said stop I got to get a picture of this <laughs> of this mesa I said I could use it for something later and just I love the rocks I like nature I'm I'm starting to add a lot more nature based um influence into my work because during covid being locked in the house um I ended up my my kind of hobby and way to self heal was to redo my entire front garden. So oh, wow. I got into gardening, got into flowers, um, and still so, another
0: way to work with your hands.
1: Exactly, exactly. I love playing in dirt. I've always have. When I was little, I used to go find bugs. I was, <laughs> I was this. Sh- I was an unusual kid. I was not a lot of, I guess, young, young girls would be playing with bugs or playing right. in a pond and catching <laughs> frogs. Um, that was me. My brother was opposite. He was like, ooh, I don't want to touch that. And I'm over there. Look at this frog. Um, it's all slimy. And, uh, I used to tell people I want to be a bugologist, but, um, so I'm really curious about the little things to the bigger ideas. So. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of my work is just influenced by everyday um, life from when I was a kid, which included a lot of traditional doings. And then growing up into middle school and high school, I was influenced by video games. One of my favorite video game series is The Legend of Zelda. Um, that is downright hands down my favorite. I'm already getting my pre-order for the next game coming out in May. Um, That is my happy place. So (laughs) a lot of people, I have a friend of mine who tells people, Amber lives there. That's her other, her other home. And I was like, Oh no, I, you, I could do a whole like another podcast on just Legend of Zelda and talk about (laughs) the lore. I have books. I have action figures. So things like that. Japanese anime, comic books, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. So I grew up with those, um, genres as well. Right, right. Um, Marvel, DC, and then I think that's where my narrative ideas started kind of coming from. It's like, well, everyone's talking about these stories. Maybe I can, in turn, tell certain stories like that too, but in 2D art as well.
0: Is um, there a continuous story or a message you're trying to relay to the public when you start creating your pieces?
1: Yeah. Um, the way I see it is kind of like in my artist statement. I'm influenced by everyday life. And how I view things Mm -hmm. as a Native person, um, in Native, with a Native background. And I'm hoping to give others a different idea of how to look at life, um, to how we view life as well. And even encourage other Native people to look at life in those lenses. I Mm -hmm. think sometimes we get too caught up in Westernized, um, ideologies and the way we have to have our home or have to do this. So sometimes I have to take a step back and because I'll get caught up in that and I'm like, you know what? It's okay. There's everything's fine. My bills are paying for. Um, I have my vehicle. Um, I have my animals. I have my family. And that's what's most important are these things I can, I have with me. And that's what makes me wealthy growing up. My family. Um, always told me wealth isn't in the physical money. Wealth is in the people you surround yourself with, your family, mm-hmm. and how you can help other people. Right. So through my art, I'm hoping to connect with other people. Um, and I've had people who've got emotional looking at my art pieces, which is just humbling to me because I'm right. like, there's that connection. I said, I'm there's making. There's that response and that. Yes. That-
0: Absolutely. I'm making
1: that connection with that person, whether they're Native or non-Native. But some of my pieces m- kind of mimic maybe their home life as well. Um, I had an elderly couple that saw one of my pieces of a family sitting at a table. And it's my mom and dad and my brothers, and we're all sitting there. And this elderly couple, they were like, wow. She goes, this is such a nice piece. It reminds me of when I was a kid. And we used to have big family meals. She goes, mm. we don't really have that anymore. All my kids moved away. And she goes, but this reminds me of when I was a kid. And um, and there's Native influence, but it reminded her of her own family um, mm. as well. And, oh, little kids love my stuff too. I like listening to little kids talk and point at my pieces and go, look at that. <laughs> and kind of explain it. Sometimes the kids are more on point than adults are. So I always find that interesting. Um and I'm more of an artist that likes to sit in the background and, like, I push my art out there and go, here, you guys look at this. And then I will sit over here and just listen. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, so sometimes there's been times when people will be talking about my art and they have no idea I'm standing out behind them. And then they're like, who's the artist? And then I'm like, yeah. Hi, it's me. <laughs> Hi, it's me. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know we were talking. I was like, that's fine. And I think sometimes people interpret it. Differently, which is just right. totally fine with me. So
0: it's all objective uh, interpretation.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: It's all the different emotions and feelings and memories one takes away from an art piece. It's never going to re- be repeated, which is nice. But
1: mm-hmm. It's nice to
0: hear that, uh, that you're just kind of in the background listening.
1: Yeah, I just I want my I want people to think and figure out for themselves what it may mean to them. And mm-hmm. it could mean something totally different than the way I perceived it. In the beginning, and sometimes listening to other people, I can go, oh, yeah, I never thought of it that way. You, you know, the, the meaning changed just now.
0: Right. So. Do you feel you take creative risk in some of your pieces and push the limits or push yourself?
1: Recently, yes. I've been exploring more. I feel like I was a little more reserved back mm-hmm. in the beginning, kind of creating things I really knew a lot about. and. Recently, I've been exploring, like I said, nature. Um, I've been exploring a little more, I guess, my inner self. Um, I can be really reserved sometimes. Like sometimes people have, some, I've been told that I could be a little like intimidating or I can be <laughs> a little like unapproachable. But I mean, I don't mind people like coming up to me and talking to me. I guess right. just my, because I'm an observer. So I'm like sitting in the corner, like viewing and listening and just kind of taking my own personal notes. And then people are like, I, I, she might be busy. So um, <laughs> I've been told that I've I inspired um, some co-workers in the past. They were, I wasn't there that day and they were like having to deal with a customer that wasn't being too nice. And they were like, what would Amber say? And yeah. I was like, well, this is what I would say. Um, I'm not afraid to stand up to people, especially if it's they're being rude or disrespectful to somebody that I care about or even somebody that isn't doing anything wrong. So um, I think that recently that's been my growing idea to kind of explore outside of what's normal. So like recently I tried my hand at a comic book and um I've never really done that. So right. even though they've inspired me all these years and it actually got accepted for a little mini show um, really? up at the Paseo at the okay. Literati Press yeah. um, bookstore. And it kind of sparked something. And I was like, ooh, that might. So that may be another medium I'm going to explore in the future. I have ideas. Um, I've also done an illustrative book for a group in new york um where i the story was already written and it was about a powwow and i just had to create the characters and kind of implement the idea into it and i've been to powwows before the regalia was very similar to our tribal people being Mm -hmm. woodland tribes um so everyone i met in the interview they were like this is great and i recently heard that the It was like a, it's like a nonprofit group. So they work with a lot of um, native kids and they said the kids love it. It's bright and colorful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I tried that, tried my hand and it was all digital work too. Wow. I normally, I, I have my iPad Pro. So I've been dabbling a little bit in digital art, um, as well. So I may explore that just a little bit more and see how I can incorporate that into new pieces in the future. So. Um, we'll just have to see, but I've, I've been exploring a little more, um, and kind of reevaluating, I guess, my style.
0: So it's self-imposed, you're self-imposing risk in pushing the limits. (laughs) Yes.
1: I think that's, that's kind of how I've always been a little bit. Like at some point I get bored. Um, and I'm kind of like, you know what? I said, I'm starting to get familiar with this territory. I want to push myself a little further. What What is out there? What more mm-hmm. can I do? Um, I guess what's the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to fail. And then I just go back to my roots and go, okay, let's reevaluate. Where should I go try next? And then right. maybe there's different areas that I can incorporate. Um, so there's always that little bit of fear. There's still that fear, the little voice going, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> and so I kind of- the other side
0: is going, do it, do it, do
1: yes, it. Yes, <laughs> the other side is doing, it's like, go, do it, do it, do it. And then it's like, don't be scared. So it's okay to fail. So that's a big thing. It's like, it's okay to fail. So
0: mm-hmm. Absolutely. How do you feel uh, Native American art is important to society, both on a national level and a global uh, level?
1: I think having Native artists and Native people being the voices of their own art making, um, and that includes the scope of having Native curators, having Mm -hmm. Native museum professionals, having... art history um, professors who are native that are right. teaching about our own culture and our own heritage, instead of being told, this is how you do it. And I run into that on occasion, people telling me how my own people do stuff, right. even though I grew up in it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, no, that's not how that works. <laughs> um, and then uh, having to have those type of you know, arguments, but disagreements, But also trying to, it's a weird line um, to kind of do it in a educational, respectful area. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I've learned that people don't like being told they're wrong. And people don't like being told what to do. And so I've learned to kind of pick and choose those battles on, is this person open-minded enough to where I can tweak that idea that I can help them see that whatever they learned was not as accurate as they think they, it mm-hmm. is, and maybe give them some resources to look at, either books, um, museums or other areas to kind of go, Oh, YouTube's great. I like YouTube. So I have a list of like, here, you should watch this video. It's filmed and directed by a native person and, <laughs> and just learn about it. And some people, they, they really enjoy that. So. I used to work at a museum here in Shawnee, the Maybe Gare Museum of Art. I was their educator there and, um, some of my docents, uh, we did Native American sensitivity training. So we, uh, we had a, I had a lot of questions that
0: mm-hmm.
1: to certain Native groups would probably be really offensive. But at the same time, they had no idea, like, those things they were talking about or the things they were doing were offensive. Right, And I could have just yelled at them and <sighs> been like, you're wrong. That's not how... I, but instead, I took them and go, okay, let me explain why this is not appropriate. And then we'll explain how to better resolve this when you're giving a group a tour and you have Native students in your group. Mm-hmm. So things like that. And they took it really well. Um, That's good. Yes. Yeah, so many of them, very well-educated. Some of them had PhDs. They just... Um, it just never was presented to them in this way, so I'm hoping through my culture and background I was able to kind of remedy that mm-hmm. um, and mediate that as well. So just kind of helping them understand, and because not everyone's going to know everything, Correct. so they're gonna most people get a lot of information from the news, from movies, <laughs> which well, is uh, that I think
0: it's also for the non-native when they look at native Americans as a one set, you know, it's a one shoe fits all type thing, Where it's like, no, there's different cultures. There's different elements. We all came from all parts of this country, uh, and globally, you know, indigenous people. So no, we all don't wear feather headdresses. We don't live in teepees. Um, you know, (laughs) such a a wide variety it's a continuous educational process, uh, which you know we continue to do on a daily basis.
1: It it is and I think us as artists um and those that like your podcast um is bringing attention to that and c- just keep keep bringing out more um information that are, are by and f- uh by native people for everybody. Mm-hmm.
0: Let um, us tell our story.
1: Yes. Don't,
0: don't let someone that's non-native and doesn't have the cultural or ancestral or heritage connection, tell our story. Let us tell our story.
1: Yes. And they, we should be the ones to tell our stories and to provide those connections Mm -hmm. as well. Um, and then it provides opportunity for native people to tell those stories in institutions and breaking down those barriers and stereotypes, especially, Mm -hmm. um, Cause I, I, I mean, you still run into that of the feathered headdresses yes. and all this stuff. Um, and then also teaching people to be respectful of your regalia, um, and things like that. I think I've had a, I've had people who, um, when sometimes when I re- wear regalia that have run up and like will try to grab my, my shawl or really? look at it like, wow, this is so pretty. Or my jewelry. Um, I have some nice turquoise jewelry and I've had, I've had ladies come up and like want to grab it. And then I have to look at them and really, I give yep. them my teacher stare, uh, my <laughs> educator stare and they're like, oh, I'm not, There's I'm so sorry. There's a protective zone
0: here. <laughs> yeah,
1: so, I'm sorry. I said, I know. I said, please, please look, don't touch. I know this is all work of art, but, um, <laughs> just, uh, please don't tend to know. I'm so sorry um and just kind of reevaluating and reteaching people like you got to be respectful because it's the same with young kids mm-hmm. um sometimes I'd bring my shawl and my little ones my second to third graders oh they love the shawl because it's all the texture of the of the fringe and they really enjoy and they want to beat on the drum and so we have to talk about like respect and things like that mm-hmm. you know what? Oh, okay. It's like, you just don't want people taking your toys, right? Right, like, right. No. And it's like, exactly. So you got to ask permission. And if they say no, and they always go, that's okay. And I'm like, yes, no is okay. So <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I have to do that with adults, surprisingly enough.
0: Surpri- so. Yeah, I'm sure. What do you think is some of your poignant pieces that you've done thus far?
1: I think this last year... I created one of my big pieces, which I was commissioned by the First Americans Museum to create. Oh, really? Yes. Um, it's a two-foot by ten-foot oil painting on linen, and they commissioned me back in 2020 before the museum opened, so I had about a little less than like six months because they had wow. to get it um, all together, and that was a process because...
0: Giving we an artist to, a time frame like that?
1: Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I was like, that was very, cha- that was one of those challenges. I was like, I'm risking it all. So, um, I said, okay, I can do this. I got to figure out who's going to make my frame. Um, I got to get the, the linen. Um, and then we had to talk back and forth with the curators and the group and kind of figure out the design. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's for the Winneko, um exhibit that's on the second floor of the museum. And what they did was I created the mural and, uh, what they did was I delivered the painting and then they took photos of it, like every six inches of the piece. And then they blew it up and it's up on the second floor and it's a huge walled mural now. Uh-huh. And whoever took the photo of it did a great job because you can see the textures of the paint that I put down and everything. But the original sits in the curating offices, hmm. um, Oh my gosh, that one was a lot because then towards the end of the project, that January 2021 was when it was due. Um, I got COVID. And wow. so when I had energy, I was getting up and painting and then I'd go lay down. And sometimes I'd even lay down in my studio. I'd just get the mat <laughs> out and then I would just lay down, drink my water, drink my chicken noodle soup. And I couldn't <laughs> smell anything. So I mean... I was, it was just awful time, but I was like, I have to get this done. And I pushed myself and I got it done, delivered it. And I was like, whoa. And I just had to wait. Um, but since it was oil paint on linen, there was a little issue with it after the fact where I had to kind of take it back and kind of adjust um just it just a little just the canvas because mm-hmm. it was kind of starting a little bit droop and i was like mm-hmm. oh, okay this is not good so um i just didn't give it enough time to cure um was what happened but got it fixed up got it back um so that was like my first big experience working with the museum the time frame working with curators on the idea um and i really enjoyed the process it was really fun challenging um And I feel I accomplished a lot with that one. Then immediately afterwards, I got accepted for the Oklahoma Visual Art Coalition's Momentum exhibit as one of their, one of three spotlight artists that Mm -hmm. same year. So right after I finished that one, I had to create three, three foot by four foot black and white drawings that also incorporated native languages. And so. I incor- um, You can actually go on my website and view it, but I actually recorded either myself, my dad, or my mother speaking our traditional languages and incorporated the words, the typography into the mm-hmm. piece so you could listen along and read it. The one thing I took out of that, which was with the help of the curators that year, because um, sometimes I was like, well, maybe I should add a translation, like in English of what it says. They were like, don't just leave it. Have people want to learn. It. Let them find it. And that was another Absolutely. big, big thing too. It's like in the past, I'd over, over explain things on my mm-hmm. pieces, um, or give them real detailed titles. So here recently, I've been kind of taking a step back and going, I'll just give it this simple title. And then it's kind of fun to watch people come in and be like, what does this mean? And then there's right. like a discussion. <laughs> Board on my piece and i'm just like that's exactly what i wanted people to
0: there's the come together yeah.
1: come together figure it out and then talk about that piece and that's what that's where i sit in the back and kind of enjoy the conversation of how people are interacting with my mm-hmm. artwork so mm-hmm. when we displayed those three black and white ones um with and i saw people with their phones scanning the qr code and then walking up to my piece and like listening in and and Reading along to my right. piece, and then proceeding to want to know more.
0: Mm-hmm. So, that's great. That makes them kind of let their mind start thinking, you know, yes. in an artistic way, and in the story that you're trying to relay, and and kind of um, your meaning, but also their meaning of what they they're seeing and how the two yes. connect.
1: Yes, and that's kind of how I trust my art will continue to be perceived um some people may look at it and just think it's beautiful then others really enjoy pretty picture it. pretty picture <laughs> yeah, i mean that's fine if you're willing to pay the price and that's fine with hey. me. Uh, so it's like baby paper is fine um and then other people they really enjoy the story mm-hmm. um and want to know a little more about it or they come up with their own,
0: um, their own interpretation of it
1: interpretation and if that's what they see in it then great
0: what pieces do you think have gotten the most attention? That you're surprised at?
1: Um, actually, my most recent one I did that was a all watercolor piece, and I got a lot of great feedback on that one. Um, and it's a twelve by nineteen, I believe. Um, There's the one I recently am getting framed currently, uh, and it's of a native woman weaving, finger weaving. Uh, mm-hmm. sash belt. And her figure is very, um, stationary in the piece. And, you know, it's a human figure and everything. But then from her hands, the, um, the fringe of the yarn comes out and it envelops her all around. And I included woodland designs, uh, sack and fox ribbon work designs, uh, pottery, de- uh, floral work, and then, uh, Navajo, like, southwest, uh, rug designs within the piece. Oh, wow. Um, very and cool. so it's very colorful, but kind mm-hmm. of muted. Um, and then for her dress, I did like earth tones, um, browns, um, kind of to me representing mother earth type of thing. But, um, the title of the piece is I weave my own path. And so, and sometimes I feel like I do that too. So there's
0: a lot of interpretation there
1: exactly so the my friends who are weavers my artist friends are weavers they love it they're like we're getting represented and so they're all excited about it and then other people love the title it is a kind of a self-portrait because it's a i have a it's a photo of me weaving Mm -hmm. um that my uh either family member or my husband took while i was at a market because i was it was slow at that time so i was sitting there weaving just to pass the time and they took a picture of me, um, as I was doing that. So that's the reference photo I used. Um, so it included all my tribal people, um, and with the designs included, but so many people loved it. They just really enjoyed it. And it was something a little different. Like I said, I've been experimenting a little more, Mm -hmm. um, with my designs and including my, my favorite is I love drawing people. So including that, but then also trying to include the the design quality of our tribal people as well. And then the one previous that has, still to this day, people just love is, um it's called Earth, Sky, and the Medicine Keeper. Mm-hmm. And it's of a Native woman in a red dress. And she is holding an eagle fan. And you can see the slight um, beaded bag of like a medicine pouch. And the midsection is like a scene from Oklahoma. There's like a pond and there's the trees and then the big meadow. And then at the top is blue with, um, woodland designs, um, all different colors. And then there's a male figure with a, um, pipe and he's smoking it father sky. And then you have the midsection with the woman, she kind of overlaps all three sections. And at the bottom, there's a woman in the corner representing mother earth. And then there's tobacco plant that comes up, but it's just all of these symbols and, um, the colorful, uh, mm-hmm. design of the woodland flowers and the idea that we live in these different worlds. And then us as the humans are, are the medicine people. We have to be the medicine mm. keepers of our, of our world. So, um, that's how I, like I interpret that, it. And people, like that story. yeah. So people really enjoy that. Um, and sometimes people ask about the dress and they want to say, uh, since red is uh, significant with the missing and murdered indigenous women, mm-hmm. that was not what my original thought was with the red. Red to me is a very powerful color. It's uh, very striking and um, represents strength to me. Mm-hmm. So I use the color red um, to represent how strong the medicine is. But if people want to interpret that as the strength um, to behind... And to be strong for those type of groups with the missing and murdered indigenous women, um, that's fine with me too. So just however people want to interpret that as Mm -hmm. well. But that one was a very popular piece. They really enjoyed that one.
0: So are both pieces sold in a private collection?
1: They are not. um, I have them priced pretty high. The way I do my (laughs) pricing is if I really, really like it, I price it pretty high because to me... If somebody's going to pay that price, they're going to take really good care of, care
0: it. of it. It's going
1: to have a good home. I, it's going to have a good home. Somebody's going to just love that piece. I've sold a couple prints of the, the oil painting with the, the woman in the red dress. Um, mm. And several people, a couple people have prints of it. I don't do prints as often anymore. It kind of has to be like a special request. Mm-hmm. Um, it just takes a lot of time. So instead, I'd rather put all my energy into making originals. Um, I'm very conscious of providing art that is in all price ranges, so anyone can have a piece of my art, whether it be a small little watercolor card mm-hmm. to something large, if they want to, as I call my bougie prices. And <laughs> if they want to have those bougie, that bougie art, I have that. So, um, but I have stuff. I've had people come through and thank me specifically for having artwork that's more affordable. Mm-hmm. To where they can come in and spend $50 and get several small pieces to give to family members, to give right. to, um, for Christmas presents. Um, and I totally understand that. I love getting me a nice ceramic mug or another print that's more in my price range. Um, right. if I can, unless they want to trade for a big art piece and I'm, I'm all for that too. I'm like, yeah, I'll trade you for that beautiful beaded bag over there if you want to come pick out the equivalent of that. Um, in my booth. So um, I'm very conscious of making sure that I try to get art that it's accessible to everyone.
0: Right. Right. Do you feel that there's a continued story that a lot of Native American artists are trying to uh, say? Um, is there an ongoing story or theme that's trying to be um, relayed to the outside world?
1: I feel like the biggest one I always run across that a lot of my Native artist friends and I always agree with is the uh, we're still here. Our people are still here. (laughs) It's like, we're not a history, a part of history. Um, We are the history. We are making it currently Mm -hmm. still. Um, Because I still go to museums and even when I was a little kid, I remember going to museums and seeing the labels for certain objects on display. And they're like an ancient, like pot or an ancient bowl that was used Mm -hmm. for blah, blah, blah. And then I'm like, we just used that last weekend right. for the tradition for our ceremony. So, I mean, like, it's not to me, it's that's part of our culture, and it's not history, it's right. We're living it today. So, that's kind of where I look at the importance of pushing um native art by native people is to show that we're still here, we're not, um, we're not just wearing buckskin all the time. Um, that would be, especially in Oklahoma. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine buckskin all year round. So.
0: No, no. (laughs) Or moccasins. No, no. Oh my
1: gosh. Yes. Like my, (laughs) I I have my Navajo wool dress and I will not wear that unless I know I'm going to be an air conditioned room the entire day. Um, I'm not standing outside in Oklahoma. I'm going to, I'm going to ruin that dress if that happens. So. Um, but my other dresses are fine. They're cotton, so it's like a little more room and breathing. And breathable, yes, yeah. yes, yes, so um, and then I have a whole wool dress. I love that dress, but I will not wear that unless I'm in air conditioning <laughs> space. Exactly. So
0: what motivates you in your in your work?
1: My family. My family is they're my biggest supporters mm-hmm. and I' I feel like I'm very lucky and fortunate to have a family that are all so proud of me and that are so supportive in everything I do. Um, and then like tomorrow, actually on the 14th Valentine's day is my birthday oh. and I'm turning 30, which it oh. makes, which makes all my relatives feel old. I've been ran into uh, you some, you just made me feel old. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would make me feel old. Um, so like, uh, some of my relatives were thinking I was still, like, still getting the 30, so I'm, I saw, I've been looking through photos because I want to post some photos of me when I was a little kid and then some of my accomplishments graduating from OSU, graduating from Seminole State, my big piece I did for fans, so I'm just accumulating photos the last couple of days and I, right. I'm, I'm very hard on myself, so I'm one of those that I never feel like I'm doing enough. So it's kind of nice to look back and go, okay, I have done a lot. I've been trying to get out of that mindset too of like, I'm doing enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Everything's
1: fine. Um, I'm very strong advocate for mental health as well. So I'm always like taking a step back from myself and going, everything's good. You're doing all you can do. So. Take
0: that breather once in a while.
1: Yes. It's very important. And especially I stress that to students, like just take a breath. It's okay. It's a lot. Um, and so that's what motivates me is my family. Um, but I'm also motivated by myself being a minority Native woman
0: mm-hmm.
1: and accomplishing as much as I have. In I want to share that with as many people as possible, but particularly young Native children, to show them that they can do it. They can do this. They yeah. can... Go to school. Um, and even if not school, they can go to a trade school. They can go get a good paying job. They can work really Absolutely. hard and, and get themselves out of negative situations. And there's Absolutely. people out there that can help them. And yeah. that's how I look at it. And I, I, I have a hard time reading certain stories of tragedy with Native families and people. And it's, we, we, there's still a lot of work to be done. And, oh. Um, so much um, to be done. And so I just hope that my art and my voice is enough to, like, inspire those young kids. And I think when I was at the museum, um, whenever we do a Native American tour, I'd have my group of students. We always do introductions, introduce my docents, introduce myself. But I would always introduce myself for those specific tours in na- my Native uh languages. Mm-hmm. And I remember several of the native kids that were in those groups. Were, I've never heard anyone speak native language. And I was like, really? And they're like, yes. And then they wanted to know what they knew they had a native name, but they didn't know what it was. And it made them want to go home and ask their parents, what is my name? I met this lady today and she knew her native name. And What's your she native name? Friends, um, and what does it's, it mean? It's in Sack and Fox and it means, um, the one that suddenly appears. Wow. And I do have a Navajo name. Um, I can't s- say what it is in Navajo, but translated, it's something similar to the one that comes with the mist. So I got, I got names that are like mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then I know my clans, um, Wolf Clan Malwayuk, um, for a second fox and then Navajo and um, Red House People Clan, and Tulhane, born for the um, Water People Clan. Um, so I tell that to students and talk mm-hmm. to them in that way. And it really inspired some of them. They actually came up to me after and they were like, that was really, I've never heard anyone say or speak in the native tongue. And I want to know what my Indian name is now. That's I know I have one. I just don't know what it is. And I'm like... That made me feel good.
0: Yeah. It gives you that warm feeling. Absolutely. Yes,
1: it Do you is. mentor youth? Not currently. Mm-hmm. Um, I've thought about it re- pretty recently, especially after I came over here to the, uh, to OU to work here. And I've kind of thought about if there's groups I could help and mentor. Um, I'm very comfortable around kids now because of the museum. Working with ages three and up um, mm-hmm. has made me very comfortable. I've worked with a couple of tribes on different projects. Um, and I've actually taught a couple of classes up at um, a group in Oklahoma City with the Indian uh, Clinic up there. Um, OKC Indian Clinic and kind of working with their kids. Um, but I'm more particular to, I think, students that really want and need that mentorship I could probably work with a group of students that are like we want to learn everything you know and I'm like great let's do it let's do it we're going to go outside we're going to go work outside we're going to work on this work on that just kind of explore things right um so I wouldn't I I have never really done it too much but I'd be comfortable doing it for sure if I if I came across it I love talking to students especially and just kind of inspiring them when i can
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and i when i was at the museum i helped in creating a high school juried art exhibit um because i believe the high school students needed their own place to show their work to show right. what they're working on and some of it for some pe- for some people was a little disturbing because they're going through a lot of changes in themselves they've also going through a pandemic so some of them material was a little on the darker subject matter mm-hmm. um, but it just showed me that the students are sh- mentally struggling but are using art as a way to cope um, and then also getting to meet some of those students and encouraging them to continue exploring the arts and then they f- to see these students come in with their friends or whatnot to be able to see their art up on the wall that got accepted they were really mm-hmm. like excited for it so um,
0: Well, I think it helps them because they're finding their own path to success, and also because of the educational component, they're not getting it in school anymore. The arts are depleted, and yes. so having that outlet. And I also think you know mentorship programs and learning from elders, because you know the elders are not going to be around forever, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that have carried the, our culture forward and let us continue to grow it. So learning from them and helping instill that into the youth, I think is very important as we grow as a, as a culture.
1: Yes, no, I, I agree. And it is hard to lose those elders. Mm And even here recently, there's somebody that my family's really close to and he passed away and, oh my gosh, he knew so much and I learned so much from him and it's hard now because he's gone. Right. I can't call, I can't call him anymore and ask him, what do I do with this? Or how do I go get over this challenge or this right. hurdle? But I was getting to the point with um, him and a couple of my other relatives and elders that have gone on to where they were telling me, <clears throat> you're the, you're the next generation. You have learned as much as you could and you're gonna have to teach the next group. So some of my family, I'm, I know, I, I know quite a bit, um, and sometimes I don't think I do, but when I sit down and look at it, I'm like, yes, I do know a lot. And yeah. and, and I think the next big, I'm turning 30 to and tomorrow, so I'm like, what's my next decade gonna be like? How how am I gonna? I think I'm gonna have to figure out how do I disperse this information, all this right. knowledge. The last 20, 20, 30 years that I've accumulated, how am I going to help other people with that knowledge? So that's where I think my next, I guess, spiritual self um, is going to have to figure out how to be guided into that. So mm-hmm. um, and just helping other people, because I think in the last year, especially, I've helped all kinds of people, whether it be now I'm getting to the point where people call me asking for my opinion or my expertise on something, which is really weird for me because I still feel like I'm a student. I still feel like I'm, there's still a lot I have to learn. So it's bizarre to be in this weird transition of right. where people are calling me going, Amber, we'd like for you to come and um, sit on this panel. We'd like for you to come and view this artwork with us. Or do you know about this? We saw this in our collection when, and I'm like, am I qualified to do this? <laughs> um, I guess they think I am, which is a
0: well, humble,
1: humbling thought. It's, it's a, a, a thought. little
0: give and take, you know. We have to absorb, but we also have to project outward too of what we know and our knowledge. But yes. we can't stop uh, learning. So, what's exactly. next for Amber Dubois Shepherd?
1: Uh, working on new art um, always. Uh, my goal this year is to. Work on some bigger pieces. I did some big pieces last year, right. um, into 2022. Um, but I'm reevaluating some things and working on some bigger pieces. I have art markets lined up. I recently just got accepted to the Muskogee art market. That's going to oh, be at fantastic. the River Spirit yeah. in, um, April. I think mm-hmm. April 21st, 22nd, somewhere in there that weekend. Um, and then next month in March, I am participating in the Oklahoma visual art coalitions, uh, momentum exhibit, I believe is March like 10th through 12th. Um, it's a weekend. So that's where my newest piece will be the one with the weaver. She'll be there, mm-hmm. uh, as well. So, um, I know a lot of people wanted to see her in person. So I said, well, come see her. She will be there. <laughs> um, Come say and hello. Come <laughs> kind of say hello. She would love to say hi. I, I always love if I can find places where I can hang my art that will stay up for a while because I'd rather them just be out somewhere instead of in my guest room wrapped right. in plastic. <laughs> so I'm always up for if there's a space where I can keep a couple of things. I'm always like looking for that space. Um, and then I'm also doing the Red Earth Art Festival okay. um, in June, which... I love the board members there. They're funny because, um, they got after me last year cause I didn't go cause <laughs> <laughs> I think they had to move some, um, space venue spaces. So I, I, and then it was a weekend during my husband's birthday weekend and I was like, I got to have other things I got to do. So, um, but they really like me being there cause my late grandmother, Adeline, she used to attend that market oh. for all, for a bunch of years so they're all excited that her granddaughter is there, and they're like, "This is Adeline's granddaughter. She's so special to us." And I'm like, "This is a lot of pressure." <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> it's like you're putting a lot of pressure on me. Um, but things like that. I have some other things that I'm thinking about, but I haven't quite announced yet. But we'll we'll see what happens. Um,
0: we'll keep in regards to,
1: to in regards to school. Um, so. We'll just kind of see. But so far, just working on new pieces, um, working on just more art and attending art markets and getting into exhibitions and um, some collab projects that may mm-hmm. be happening here in the future Fantastic. as well. Um, but also just, I got this new job at OU. I started back in October, so I'm still learning the ropes on, on being back at the campus level. Again, I've actually kind of missed this environment. It's kind of nice to see what um all the students, undergrad and graduate students are working on. And um I love watching as they grow. It seems like they're just, I was like, man, was I like that when I was in my undergrad? I said, just <laughs> frantic going everywhere. I got to finish this. I got to go paint this. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. It's like I'm kind of slowed down a little bit now. So kind of leisurely about so.
0: Fantastic. So do you do any exhibits or exhibitions? Is that uh, something that you're a part of?
1: Yeah. Um, I enjoy having exhibitions because I, I kind of have to like break down how I view my art in terms right. of um, there's market stuff, like going to a market, you want to sell as much as you can. So I have a tendency to put my mind in like um, creating my smaller pieces, more right. affordable things like that. When I look at exhibitions, they're more for, they give me the opportunity to express ideas and to have a larger audience view my work for the significance of them. a larger format. Well. Yes. Larger format, um, larger pieces. And because of these larger works I did in 2021, I really want to start working into that kind of space. So um, I'm coming up with ideas, but that's part that takes a while for me is the planning as we talked about my process so i have these things lined up um and then i have to get the material and all that so i'm hoping i can create some larger bodies of work that will be able to go into bigger exhibition spaces um for myself and including the language component including um the visual uh with the visual component as well Mm -hmm. um i'm hoping will translate um, in those exhibition spaces um, for me because I really like including my native languages when I can because I'm not fluent in my languages so I try to learn with my art as well um, whether it be through the title or right. when I create the audio for it and then I have to kind of sit there and like teach myself on like this is what I'm saying in English but what am I really saying in Sock? so
0: um right. different That's things like very that. Interesting perspective to actually incorporate that into your artwork.
1: Yeah. I just, I want people to hear the language and listen to it. Um, mm-hmm. But also it's for me, it's kind of a way for me to connect even further into my native culture with right. um, the language component. So I'm hoping that, and I, I keep a little note, I have like different notebooks that are for the language part of it. And I write it out and practice it when I can. Um, so whenever I do, Big talks and everything. I tried to uh, introduce myself in the traditional language and um, kind of speak to that. It keeps it well. alive.
0: It keeps it alive. It does. I mean, that's the best way we can educate those behind us is keeping it alive and
1: yes, yes, and encouraging them. And I will say it's hard.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: definitely hard to grow up and keep those traditions. Right. But trying to grow up in a Western, more styled world. Um, because people like you do have to take time to go to those classes. You have to take time, um, to learn those things just for the betterment of your people and your culture. And it can be hard, especially when you work all day, or if you have children and having to try to, um, parent as well, um, and just having to balance all these things. Some people are taking care of their elders and have to be there, um, at all times for them. So it, it can be difficult. It so, can be
0: difficult, but I think it—it's a way of us connect, connecting to the past, mm-hmm. and also it's part of our our DNA and cultural heritage that is so significant of what makes us us. That's yes. very different from from other societies.
1: No, I I agree, and it connects us with our people. I believe a lot more. And most of our, and I think a big significant is at some point I would like to be able to be fluent enough to where right. I can say all of our prayers in the language it was supposed to be said in. Um, so that's kind of my goal, personal goal with I think, the language.
0: And I think a lot of people don't understand if the French lost their language, they wouldn't be French; they'd be yeah. lost, lost civilization and lost society. So that's, I think, part of us as well. Is you know, be it Cherokee, be it Navajo, that's part of our. Of who we are as a person and as a people in the community. And we're trying to reinstill that and learn it so we can identify more clearly and project clearly to the non Native American. And I think it would also help in their their view that we are very different from each other. Uh, yes. That we yes. all don't wear hairdresses and live in teepees. You know, our language no. is very significant uh, to each tribe. Uh, yes.
1: Yes, and it, it is, it's very, um, it's, it's, it is, important. And I always try to encourage people who are, um, still learning and that may mm-hmm. be older than me that don't know a lot about their culture. And how can I help them get in touch with those people, um, that can help them with their tribal people? Mm-hmm. Um, and that seems to be where my, I, I've recently in the last year just kind of talking about helping people, but I tend to be what I refer to as a guide. Um, <laughs> people come to me to ask me because I guess I'm approachable in that aspect with native culture. Cause I know a lot um, and I can try to figure out a way to help them
0: mm-hmm.
1: or guide them to the right person. Right. Um, or how can they're like, I'm dealing with this. Who should I talk to? I'm like, this person over here may be able to help you with this issue that you're having. They're like, oh, okay, well, thank you so much. And then I'll touch base with them a little later. And they're like, thank you so much. That's, that's what I needed to know. And I'm like, of course. So even with, um, native, uh, our healthcare and uh-huh. all of that, some, some native people have, don't know how to utilize that resource. Um, so I always encourage people. I'm like, go on there. And if you get lost, just give me a call. I'll get you in <laughs> touch with whoever you need to talk to. So um, if you want help, I'm going to try to guide you to that help if I can.
0: Well, Amber, thank you for guiding us through your story today. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate you reaching out um, as well uh, for, to have this interview. And I, I just enjoy talking about my art and my experience. And well, as always, I, I hope it encourages other people.
0: Absolutely. Let's encourage me and I've thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you for your time today. It's been a pleasure. All
1: right. Thank you, you so right. much. Ahead.
0: Thank you.